This is Carl. This is Mark. And this is Sarah. And this is Retrograding. Yes, this is Retrograding, the show where three 90s kids give adult looks to our favorite childhood movies. This week, we're taking a look at D2 The Mighty Ducks to see if our nostalgia is warranted. So, Mark, the onus has fallen upon you to do the 60-second synopsis for this. Are you ready? No. (laughs) Perfect, because I've got the timer ready to go. And in three, two, one, go. Former Pee Wee hockey coach Gordon Bombay is now a star in the minor leagues but suffers a career-ending injury and returns home to find work. While working sharpening skates, Gordon is offered the opportunity to coach Team USA in the Junior Goodwill Games. After reaching L.A., Team USA sponsor Hendricks Hockey treat Bombay to a celebrity lifestyle and he becomes estranged from the team. After a few easy wins, Team USA suffers a humiliating loss to Iceland. Because of the loss, Bombay pushes his team to the point of exhaustion. After seeing the Iceland game on TV, Jan travels to L.A. to remind Gordon who he really is. Bombay puts aside his distractions and finally notices that the team's star, Adam Banks, has been playing injured, so he is forced to bench him and play Russ Tyler in his place. Tyler's knuckle puck helps Team USA advance to the championship game against Iceland, where they try all of their old tricks to no avail. After an emotional locker room speech, they emerge onto the rink wearing some new jerseys and use some new tricks to tie the game and force an overtime shootout. In the end, Team USA wins as we knew they would. The end. (laughs) Well done. And within the minute timeline, which I could not achieve last week. So I'm the only one to fail this game that I created. Failed. Although, I will admit that we had to cut out a lot of details to get under a minute. Which is exactly what we'll be going into in the long form. So, let's go into detail on certain sections. What did you guys see as adults that you missed as children? No, here's my first thing that I missed as an adult and as a child. Bombay's only supposed to be 29? Yeah. What? And that's what was funny is because... In the end of the first movie, when he's leaving, he says, I'm going to be going up against kids half my age. And I'm thinking, kids half your age are in the minor leagues, and he's 29, so... Wait, they mentioned 14 it 14-year-old? Yeah, right? Because <laughs> they mention it... I thought he was way older. Emilio Estevez, yeah. I looked it up, was only 30 when he did the first movie. He looks older because he has got that stupid slick back hair that they even comment on this movie. Yes. Yawn talks about it. But he only had it. that for a little while in this movie. Yes, he did. He had the <laughs> other I've, terrible I've hair for the rest I of the I do have movie. notes on that. But but in the first scene when they're, the, they're talking about him, oh, he's doing so well in the minor leagues and he's going to go up to the majors, they say he's, only, he's 29. And I'm like, which if this has been a little bit, he was maybe 28 in the first one? How old was Charlie's mom? <laughs> Interesting question. I'm not sure, but there is a p- bit of a timeline discrepancy because in the film, this takes place one year mm-hmm. after they won the title, but it's been two years since the release of the first movie. Yeah. And what I don't... They're talking... Okay, something I thought was interesting was they're talking about Gordon Bombay is the new star in the minor leagues and a favorite to move on to the NHL, right? 
Yeah. He yeah. hasn't played since he was in Pee Wee League. So how is he suddenly the best player out there? He has Jedi powers. <laughs> There's yes. a simple answer for that, Mark. They retconned his character. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also, just the fact that in the first movie, he was this big shot lawyer. He did all this stuff. He wouldn't have got, like, I thought he was a lot older because you don't get out of law school. Like, law school is three years. You're at least 25. If he was 28, he's only been practicing two, three years. And he's like this hotshot lawyer that this company, like this firm cannot live without. That yes. doesn't happen. And he is still in, like, I thought he was supposed to be one of the youngest lawyers there, though, because it was a big deal that he was undefeated, even though he had but, lost but one. But youngest lawyer <laughs> undefeated is like maybe in your mid 30s. Like, it's like being the hotshot doctor. You're still older than any other career because you. You have to, like, go through the years of training, and then you sit around, get paid nothing, and do nothing for a very long time. Unless, of course, you're Doogie Hauser. That's true. <laughs> Maybe he's Doogie Hauser. I do want to talk about him being a lawyer, because this movie kind of forgets about that. Mm -hmm. Because, specifically, when he's sitting in the town car with Mr. Tibbles, who becomes his agent and makes him a coach within the uh, the Junior Olympics League, or whatever it is, he hands him a contract telling him how much he's going to get paid. Bombay doesn't read this contract, which is the one thing a lawyer would do with a contract. That is very true. They mention it once, at the very beginning, when he says, I'm a lawyer, I'm not such and such. Oh, you mean <laughs> the very beginning where the announcer knows his entire life no, story? No, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's when he first gets back after getting injured and he's in the skate shop and Jan's mm -hmm. like, oh, what are you going to do now? And he's like, I'm a lawyer, not a hockey coach. No, I think uh, he he said he was a he was a hockey player, not a lawyer anymore. Oh, is that what? He's, but he mentions that he yes. was at one point a lawyer. Yes, he and does acknowledge in it in the limo with Mister Tibbles. He says, "I used to ride around in one of these." Yeah, which was a fun reference, but also totally reckoned it's, his it's character. It's really interesting because the plot lines that got dropped seemed like maybe they should have been mentioned. The plot lines that they referenced again, I'm like, this wasn't necessarily like. They kept the Connie and Gee storylines. Okay, so good. The, when they mentioned Charlie's mom and the fact that she has gotten married, there's no reaction. They were still dating at the end of the last movie. So I have a note here that Charlie's mom uh, married the aptly named Sir Not Appearing in This Picture. <laughs> but like, at the end of the movie, they were still dating. And then it mentions that... Were they ever dating? They yeah, went like to they that were, one thing. Yes. He's, he promised that he would keep in touch over the course of the year, meaning Charlie's mom met somebody, went out with him, and got married within a year. But he did kiss her right before he went on the bus, implying that they were in some sort of relationship. This is a Disney movie. So they say that Charlie's mom remarried, which is why he's spending more time at the shop now, meaning Charlie doesn't really get along with his stepfather, which is never explored in this I, film. But, like, when he said, oh, you get married, all Bombay says, like, oh, I should have kept in touch. You guys were dating when we left off. Are you gonna, like, yeah. wrap that up for us? Like, she had to really fight for it. And a lot of kids just go missing. Yes, I have everyone that's made the team and the people that they cut. So, so Jesse Hall was one of the... He had a brother in the first yeah, movie. Yeah, the brother's he did. gone. <laughs> yes, I, I think there is an uh, in-story reason for it. So, people making a reappearance in this film, which is done in a lovely montage that I very much enjoyed, where they go to person to person... Yes bringing them all together it again. It feels very similar to the first one. What? Like them going around town and just meeting up with people. 
There were not like they didn't do that in the first one. Not like meeting up with people, but just the beginning of that one started with them running around town causing nonsense, and that's kind of the same thing. At least this one didn't have the random speeded up film scene where they run away from. Yeah, or putting (laughs) a a dog turd in a purse. So, so that both films start with some montage of them running around town. Yeah, though to me this was we're gonna find all of your favorite characters. We're gonna visit them one by one and give each of them kind of a screen time. So, the people reappearing in this film, we have Charlie, Jesse, Averman, who is working at the Mall of America, mm-hmm. Banks, Guy and Connie, who are at a dam, and Guy gets upset because he doesn't get to kiss Connie, even though he's kissed her a lot in the first movie. Go they to ruined Goldberg, their moment. Connie doesn't Fulton care. He cares. Back. Fulton Reed is yeah. my favorite. I have notes on his reappearance, but... The people not appearing in this film are the ice skating family, including Little Pete and Pete. But it's fine because they got a new ice skater. Uh, They got rid of a little leather jacket guy and crew. Uh, I can't remember his name. It was the guy who had a... Basically, a miniature leather jacket kind of looked like the Fonz in the first movie. Uh, Peter? Might have been Pete. So, yes, Jesse's brother doesn't reappear, and Carp doesn't reappear. Yeah, I think he was busy with heavyweights at this point, wasn't he? But Goldberg and Keenan would have oh, been as well. Oh, that's true. Never mind. But it makes you wonder, were, did the kids just not want to come back, or were they not invited back? Contract what? issues. Yeah. There is kind of an explanation in it, where um, when they introduce all the new players coming in, Portman comes in, and Bombay says, he's a teenager? question mark i wonder if you had to be a teenager to participate in these games and the other kids were just too young oh maybe but yeah they do get a bunch of replacements we get luis mendoza who is a speed skater who can't stop he's basically the new reed in that he's got a really good talent but a really big flaw yeah which fulton should have had a kinship with this guy but it's just never explored yeah but it's a lot of the plot points are are the same as the first movie, but given to different people. I think all of the new ones had special talents, but they all had their own flaws that went with it. Because that was as he was explaining the new kids to them. He says, oh, here's this guy. He does this and this and this. But this no, th- and they Kat, do for all of them. But here's the Kat clear has fall. no flaws. Cat is fantastic. Cat has no flaws. Portman really doesn't have flaws. Uh, he just beats people up. <laughs> Ken Wu, the figure skater, doesn't have flaws except for he's a little... He's a little guy. He's so tiny. They're all so tiny. So we go through everyone. We got Luis Mendoza. We got Dwayne Roberts, who is a cowboy who's great at puck handling, but tends to showboat. We get Julie Gaffney, the cat, who's a goalie. Ken Wu, the figure skater. And I don't know his first name, but Portman, who is an enforcer. Does Portman have a first name? I don't think so. I think they mentioned he, it. He must. When they it's... introduced him. Oh, you know what? It's probably at the roll call at the end where they go oh, to each yes. individual player. They say their name and the town they were born in. Hey, you can't talk and, about that yet. We're not and 90% of them are from Minnesota. Yes. Dean. His first name is Dean. Yep. Dean. Well, let's go back to this this opening montage. I have a couple of notes. One, in the first movie, Goldberg says to his friends that he's going to be moving back to Philadelphia. That never happened unless these kids are skating halfway across the country to go pick him up. They did skate 
a long way, though, Maybe. because they went all over the Twin Cities to find all of them. <laughs> Maybe his parents divorced, and he lives with his mom in Philadelphia, but it's summer? Well, no, he's in, because he's working in the diner, which, the does the, I forget, is it his it's, grandparents or his parents? It must parents? be. Because there's a picture that says, our son the goalie, our grandson the goalie, one of oh, those. Okay. But, but maybe it could still be his parents are divorced, his mom lives in Philadelphia, his dad still lives in Minnesota, and he's here for his dad's time or something. Yeah, he's here for the hockey season, which is the summer. I am, don't. Well, but this is like some Olympic type game, so it seems to me maybe it's like off season because it wasn't snowing when they're going through like the montage. Yeah. Also, the uh, the games are held in L.A., yes. which has no snow like ever. That is true. But somehow everybody there knows how to play hockey. Yeah. At the end of this montage, uh, we we get the uh, the psychopath from the Hawks in the first movie, uh, the one that attacked Banks at the end. Oh, Banks. And he's still a psychopath because they string fishing lines. Across these trees, and he literally says, "This is gonna kill them, and this is great for him." And, and then, then that—that's how we introduce Fulton Reed to the I, second movie. I love Fulton Reed because he's who he's, breaks in with like a golem voice. It's, it's, and then like, proceeds yeah. to throw those things And then the around. rest of the movie, he has his regular voice back. Was, yeah. Oh, I love Fulton. Oh, I have I have another fan theory for him. I think I think the uh, the street golem is falling in love in this movie with the other Batch brother. <laughs> oh. Hey, I, you missed one of the people that is no longer in the cast, though. Oh, please. Hans from, from Hans. the hockey shop. Oh, okay, Hans was not on the team, which is what I but covered. They mentioned but yes, Hans. you're right. Hans is replaced by his brother, Jan. Yes, and because you know Hans is always the mother's favorite, according to Jan. Because you need an elderly German man to give sound advice. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, you do, but Hans was way better at it than Jan was. Jan is just a poor substitute. But Jan movie. made comments about Emilio Estevez's hair that I think we were all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, he, he says, uh, you look like you just came out of the shower, and this is an insult. I think Averman like, made, the, made the comment that everyone was thinking when you said nice haircut did you lose a bet my my theory is that the hair is symbolic when he has the hair slicked back he's going back into his lawyer mean man yes. personality when he has it floppy in his oh, face the jtt cut he's back to like <laughs> having learned his lesson and being a real person Okay, I don't remember the slick back hair from the first movie. Oh, it he had it constantly. Okay, because my fan theory is that this hairstyle was sexually transmittable. <laughs> what? <laughs> it immediately follows couch. his ice cream date with the uh, the Iceland trainer. Yes. Which that's that plot line. Was there any point to it no, except to uh, just no. to get the they got the team mad at him? No, because they needed another Barely. argument where he's called a traitor, just Barely. like in the first one. Just like in the first movie, somebody spies on him and happens to... See, that's my point. I don't know if it'll be rewarding or beneficial or interesting to go through the plot of this movie, given that it is a note-for-note -note remake of the first movie. But And I don't know if they were trying to make a love triangle with the tutor, because he kisses her on the cheek at one point, and she's like, ah, oh, smiley, and I'm like, but is this supposed to? I don't know, it's the only time something happens. I mean, they don't really explain it. They don't really explore it. I think they're trying to fix the problem they had in the first movie, where it was a love story with Bombay and a woman that nobody really cared about. Oh, yeah, I hated her still. <laughs> 
still i and that was what was weird was that he went out with her that one time and it felt like they were getting close and then he never talks to her again the rest of the movie because suddenly now he's like oh i'm cured of my craziness and now i'm just not going to even associate with her and every time you see her after that even though she's pretty nice she's like full evil iceland she's like part of the herd group even though before that she's like oh you guys skate well and and blah 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 and it just seems like the only reason she's kind of staying away is because the coach is yelling at her and not because she's really mean. She's given nothing to do. Maybe she was the decoy. She was supposed to get close to him so that the Iceland coach could spy on him. She's a honey I don't believe that. No, she can't be because the coach specifically interrupts their interaction the first time. That Maybe that was just to make it seem more realistic. So much so that I'm not even sure of her name because she starts Maria. to introduce herself and is immediately interrupted by the Iceland coach who tells her to go away. Because I wrote it down. The Icelandic name, Maria. Maria. (laughs) No, but there was a lot more destruction of public places going back to that beginning montage. Yes, yes. Again, they were in a mall with roller skates. Yeah, they stole a man's hat. No, they were in Mall of America. Yeah. Yes. I don't think that the mall they went to in the first movie was the Mall of America. There was no theme park that oh, they skated through. Was it? It was just not a part I recognized. What What other mall would they have skated through in Minneapolis? I'm sure there's other malls. It's a big enough yeah, city. It's a very big city park. I've been there. I only know this was the Mall of America because they went through the, the theme park area, yeah. which used to be Snoopy Land, and it's now like Nick Kids or whatever. Yeah. yeah I, but I yeah. recognize that because I used to go to it when I did horse stuff. Horse stuff, not horse stuff. I I actually could recognize some of the rides back there. Mm-hmm. Did they have the axe? The, the, or the, uh, the, the tree swing ride? Yes. Anyway, we're okay. off topic. It's, Sarah, it's, bring us back. So I have to ask a question, because I couldn't remember, if, and it's only been a couple weeks, and yet I cannot remember this. I couldn't remember if this had actually happened or if I was having weird deja vu. The rope thing happened in the first one, right? The Where he tied thing. them all up with the rope? No. No? Never. No. The that first movie the had a montage one? with eggs. Yeah. That was the weirdest thing was they that got the up to. Was the only part of the montage? No, they shot... Well, they tied up Goldberg and shot pucks okay, at him. Okay, yes, they did tie him to the net, but they didn't tie all the players together. That was specific to this movie. I... I swear that, like, I was having deja vu and that he did it in every movie. As long as we're talking about that scene, that had one of the, as a kid, between me and my siblings, one of the most memorable lines of that movie, which I'm sure Kara will enjoy. But it's when Mm -hmm. they're all tied together, they start sniffing, and everybody says, Goldberg! And then he says, it wasn't me! And Portman says, no, it was me. And it was hilarious. (laughs) But that was a big thing when I was young. I, I can see that being very funny to a kid. Yes. There's a lot of this movie that is funny to kids. I think the uh, the whole pranks they do on Rodeo Drive or Rodeo Drive, depending on where you're at as yeah. a person. Um, I think like where they're they're buzzing to be let in these buildings and they're pretending to order fast yeah. food is pretty entertaining. That scene I remember very well. Yeah, me too. But it has absolutely nothing no. to do with the plot of the movie itself. Yeah, it's kind of pointless. I also don't get the dressing room montage that they do because like at worst, well these are fully grown women in outfits with excellent coverage. And at most, the suggestion of cleavage. They are being ogled like they are Playboy centerfolds, which the previous movie established these kids have already seen. It's true. They had the newspapers or the magazines. My note for this was just, 
90s fashion was a trip. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the scene goes on forever because they, they wear like three different outfits. And they make a big deal out of it like it's this... Now, if they had been like displaying lingerie, maybe I'd buy that these kids would be out of their element and ogle these women. But they're just women in dresses. Also, Keenan was in that scene, right? No. No. Was he not? Who was That it? was it before was... they... I don't think he was part of the team yet. Okay. It was So it was Averman, uh, Goldberg, Tex. Uh, Dwayne, the, <laughs> the Texan, okay. and then one other... It might have been Jesse. Jesse, yeah. Because um, Dwayne was the one who thought it was Rodeo Drive. Rodeo Drive. But also, these kids are probably between the ages of, what, 13 and 15? Thereabouts, yeah. They're on a team competing internationally and yet they have let them wander to Rodeo Drive in the middle of Los Angeles just by themselves. Where are their chaperones? Well, this is, that was the thing though because remember they, at the beginning uh, Mr. Tibbles drives Gordon out to some fancy hotel thing or condo in Malibu and Bombay said, should I really be this far away from the team? And he said, oh, they don't need chaperones, do they? <laughs> because no, they after do. he walked around the house, that's what that that was his These opinion. are children, Mark. They do. I, I'm not arguing that point. I'm just saying this was established that Bombay was supposed to be the one watching them and he wasn't. That that would never happen. You would have team chaperones. You'd have like event sh- people at the dorms. Like you would get in major trouble for that. Yeah, that the dorm pranks happen. are another thing we could talk about. I legitimately enjoyed them. Before we go on to that, another thing that happens in this scene is that a lady recognizes them as Team USA, which, like, they've been on the team for, like, a week. And, yeah, some of their games have been televised, but it seems like they are worldwide celebrities at this point, where everybody knows who they are. It's not like when... What is Keenan's character's name? Uh, Roy. <laughs> no, it's Russ. Russ. <laughs> Russ. When Russ recognizes them, recognizes them because he's a, a hockey fan and the same age and he pr- is probably following it, it's some random old lady in a high fashion boutique. I don't think those things cross over a whole lot. I don't think they do. Also, I think Roy was Keenan's character from Heavyweights. That might have been true. <laughs> <laughs> well, they start with the same letter, so... They do. So I mean, there was a through line there. They're kind of the same characters. They're kind of like comedic relief punk. Well, yeah, it's it's just Keenan Thompson. That's his entire career. Yeah. Another thing that happens is that everybody also knows Bombay's story, He is regarded as, quote, the Minnesota Miracle Man after one year of winning a championship. And it was a peewee league. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a note here about him getting the job with the Junior Goodwill Games. So the Junior Goodwill Games are looking for a coach. So I suppose they might look at a person with one year of experience who was forced there by order of the community service after a drunk driving charge. (laughs) Also, Jan... He is a old man who runs a skate shop at a rink, but yet he has pull with the committee that is picking a coach for an international competition. What is it? I want to know his backstory. Did he have pull? I think he just sent them messages and said, this is why you should look at him. I don't think it was that he was the only reason. No, because he said he knew someone on the committee. The first time he talks about it. Now, he does have uh, good connections with suppliers, 
I wonder if some suppliers got on that committee so they could sell it to the they, competition. They've Maybe. never really explained what this skating rink is. Because, like, there are different levels of skating rink. There's just normal skating rinks that will have no connection anywhere. And then you have big rinks where, like, professional teams play and stuff. Is it more like one of those? Now, what rink are we talking about? <laughs> the rink where Jan works. Jan, I don't yeah, think works just at a, a rink. store. I is think he a has a store that might be next to a lake, but it's it's just a hockey store. I thought it was connected to a rink. I don't because they no, always had weird transitions between the store and the rink in the first okay. movie. Okay, that might be true. I don't think the building itself is connected anywhere. I mean, that is a thing where they have like yeah. a skate shop. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it is. I think this is just a privately owned establishment okay. where they sell hockey junk. And they will cut up skates for people. <laughs> cut up skates. Cut up. Yeah, that's yes, what that they, that's the what you do. Term. Well, yeah, you, you shave off a few things, cut it off. It's what that works. All right. Though we were talking about the uh, the first training montage they did, and honestly, there's some moments in this film that I still genuinely enjoy. One of which is the lasso scene, oh, yeah. where the cowboy is just running around and lassoing his friends. Like that that version of tag seems like it'd be very fun, and it's followed up by them like doing a line dance on the ice. Well, it feels very much like they gave the kids just a general idea of this what the scene was going to be, and then just let them go free and just be like, "We're doing like a lasso tag scene. You guys have fun. We're gonna film you while you do it." Yeah, and I think those are the best moments of this film where it's just the kids being kids and it's not specifically like them delivering lines or this weird plot point it's just them having fun it felt the same way later um with the beach ball scene before it gets like interrupted <laughs> by angry europeans yeah, before yes yes. <laughs> yes iceland does not have your beach balls but before that happens when they're just like playing around and kicking it in fun it's the same kind of feeling but this was this was the 90s the time period where all you had to do could come up with a villain was have they had slick back hair and were vaguely european <laughs> and they always wear black it's true cuz the hawks oh, were absolutely. also black uniform in the german first movie. russian Iceland. This is a trope that is going to continue on into the third movie, where the ducks are always against someone in black, and they don't start out as the ducks, but they become ducks by the end. Although this team was still, like, three-fourths ducks when they started, so... Yeah, it was weird, because the first newspaper trope that they show is about them joining the USA Games, and they call them ducks in that article. Speaking of which, I made a special note, because in the first, our first talk about First Mighty Ducks movie, you brought up the fact that they must have been really slow news days, because the ducks were always on the first page of the newspaper... In this movie, they actually had to turn a few pages to get to the third page for the article about the ducks. Which is where they should be. <laughs> I, I made a special a note paper. just to comment on that for you. Yes. And I, I did see that as well. I think they became more aware of what they were worth to a newspaper <laughs> industry. Anyway, uh, let's talk about different storylines in this film. Because, as I said, it's not interesting to talk about the plot, given that it is all the same. But I think yeah. individual characters' storylines are interesting to me. So I want to talk about Julie the cat, who gets I zero playtime. I definitely play had time. a crush on her when I was growing up. Oh, she's Whoa. great. <laughs> I, think, I think the Icelandic guy had a crush on her. What was his name? Uh, the Gunner? guy who tried to crush Gunner? her? Gunner? <laughs> Gunner! Uh, see, I was still crushing pretty hard on Connie. Yeah, they were both... I think I think Connie was in the middle of a love triangle in that, too. Yeah. Really? She had Dwayne. 
Because it wasn't <laughs> Guy who went out to go save Connie. It was Dwayne with his robe. No, I think that's just a friendship. I, I still believe my one true pairing is Guy and Connie. Well, I think no, Dwayne is Dwayne just that next. southern oh. gentleman, so he has to save the woman in distress. Excuse I me, love- one true fairy would be the Bash Brothers. And and their small Asian child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the baby Bash Was he brother. was he the adopted child? Uh probably. Uh but like Julie just wants a chance to play. It comes up where she literally goes to talk to the coach so that she has not had a minute of playtime in this competition with ten different teams that are double elimination. Yeah. Like, well, we gotta keep Goldberg because he's Goldberg. No, Goldberg is terrible at his job. Yeah. Plus, like every other team besides Iceland, they are wiping the floor with. And I mean, you could just switch them out. Like, yeah, most of the time you would switch players out in the middle of the game at some point. And at just one to give point, break. Goldberg is so happy to get switched out because he's dying. He's he's a lazy man. Well, that man. is against Iceland. <laughs> it is against Iceland. Yeah. It's the first time they meet. They put her in for a second. Oh, I love it. She knocks people down and she is taken out of the game. I love that scene though because she's just like, the the boys help me with my pads and she's just like, takes them down. Which, why were they so interested? You don't see any form of a woman through hockey pads. (laughs) I don't know, but it's just so funny. Especially goalie pads. Yeah, true that. Though it was kind of empowering for women. There's that scene where she pushes the men down. The The scene that we already talked about where Dwayne saves Connie with a lasso. Connie's like, thank you, but I can punch him. And then, but the great thing about that is... (laughs) That's not her line. line. It is not, but it it is what she does. She just whacks Thank you, but I can punch them. But but it's kind of funny because Dwayne goes to rescue her and says, we treat women with respect. And she's like, I can do it myself. And he's like, yeah, you go, girl, basically. The the line, which I did like, is that, thank you, Dwayne, but I'm not a lady. I'm a a duck. duck. That was the line. And then she hits him. But she... I think that the funny thing is he's like, he just takes it and he's just like, that's something about her being like a filly, like a feisty filly or something. <laughs> oh, she's a real horse. <laughs> but it was like, he's just like, yeah, I like, I like my woman punching people. <laughs> yeah, so we will wrap up Julie's storyline when we get to the very end, because I do want to go through the entire last game because it... I think it's like a third of the movie. There's a lot of time dedicated to it. But let's talk about Keenan's storyline. I don't completely understand his whole storyline. He's heckling yeah, he starts the team as a to heckler, begin with. And he goes to every single game. How much money does he have? Exactly. This is a street child who it, can apparently go to every Olympic game. Is like, he a street child in the sense that Fulton Reed is a street child? I don't think he's an alley goblin. Yeah, it, it Golem, felt like, but go on. Golem, um, he felt like, <laughs> Russ felt like them from the mo- first movie, because they were all supposed to be, like, poor kids from broken families that were, like, using magazines as equipment. And, like, he's, like, mocking them like they're, like, rich kids. And the only rich kid on that team is Banks. And exactly. Like, now they're all cake eaters. They're all cake hey, eaters. Hey, <laughs> We're going to talk about that later, too. <laughs> it just felt really weird that he's mocking them, because it's not like... Oh, he tried out for the team and didn't make it, and he's mocking them because he's better and it felt unfair. He's just some random kid that shows up. Thank you for reminding me. That is what I wanted to get to. Team USA has zero tryouts. They hire this coach, and he picks, like, eight children that he's worked with before, and then he is assigned four others. Not not by any sports people. 
by the sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. And what is strange even in that is they give him five new players from all over the country who are supposedly the best players from around the country, yet the majority of his team is made up from his original Ducks team that are all from the same area of the country, and they were just a peewee team that happened to win their local championship. It wasn't even like a national thing. And all of the best players in the country all have really big problems except for maybe um julie whose whose big problem is they won't let her play they all have major flaws uh and these are kids from miami and from texas which i gotta imagine hockey isn't really big there yeah the only one i can think of is like julie's from maine right julie that makes probably sense. Lives that would make hockey. sense also portman is from chicago which okay. i could see that working at least well. it's cold there yeah Occasionally. I don't understand Tibbles in general. Oh, he's supposed to be comedic relief. He doesn't work. I don't understand why he's there. Because he's the sponsor. He should be just giving us money and leaving. He shouldn't be, like, the assistant coach in all of these scenes. I forget what his actual title was. Because when he introduced himself, he said, I am such and such from Hendricks Hockey. But also, the whole fight with him in the middle where he's like, You lost to Iceland, you better... You've let me down and you better get it together. Doesn't make any sense because 95% of the time he's there, he's like, oh, I'm goofy and I don't know how to skate and I'm I'm ridiculous. And then there's just one scene where he goes nuts. Though even though during that scene, he's clearly saying that you need to pick up your game or you're going to be out on the street. But he's not aggressive at all. I don't think this man is capable. It was of being a aggressive. business relationship. So yeah. it's your if you're losing, you're not you're costing us money because but, you're no good to I us. I think the problem is the fact that bringing that in is he never treats it like a business relationship. The rest of the movie, he's just there hanging out with the guys and going skating with them and falling over a rail like he never seems businessy any other time time except for that conversation the rest he's just like why is this guy here yeah i totally agree with you on that all right the next storyline i want to talks about is adam adam banks's storyline <laughs> because he gets shit on in every single movie banks is like the biggest punching bag and he's so adorable he's so sweet yeah all he wants to do is impress the scouts that are there well he they talk about like he has so much pressure but from the scouts and he talks about his he has all so much pressure from his dad and all he wants to do is play well and he's such a good friend to all his teammates and he, he was just so excited against Iceland they score one goal and he says yeah we got one and then that's when he gets injured and yet they <laughs> physically crush him in every yeah. movie so in this game the first game with Iceland Portman knocks someone down the ref comes over, he accidentally hits the ref, and the ref apparently has no upper body strength and falls <laughs> over. So he is removed out of the game. And then, uh, then they Then they everything. put in the goalie, Julie, who knocks two players down and gets removed out of the game. Banks scores. The Iceland player literally breaks his stick across Banks' hand and is given a penalty. This the the coaches are ridiculously biased in this game, which is weird because they're playing in L.A. The coaches, the the refs, the refs. <laughs> the refs. I don't know really where we are right now. Are we just we're, jumping around? We, we're jumping around. What is what's the thing you want to talk about? It's not a huge plot point, but just an error I noticed in the movie that I wasn't sure if you two picked up on, but I thought I would see in their very first game of the Junior Goodwill Games, they play against Trinidad. 
and they start off like outside the rink kind of the camera zooming in through like the crowd wandering through the hallway and the announcer is saying USA leads 6 to 0 blah 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 well you can see through the windows into the skating rink and the sign the scoreboard up above the rink says 7 to 0 on the scoreboard <laughs> You really got him, Mark. You stuck it to him with that arrow. It was just the one thing that I noticed right away. And I, was I like, like Trinidad shirts, though. Yes. Yeah, they're very the nice. They actually... So, uh, on the movie poster, I always assumed it was Keenan Thompson staring down Goldberg because Keenan gets added to the team. But it's not. If you look at the, the outfit of the guy staring down Goldberg, it's a just a player from Trinidad. Is it Goldberg? I mean, why... Out of all those teams, well, it was Goldberg in the first one, so I assume it's Goldberg again in this one. I just don't yeah, understand right. why, out of all the teams, they so they chose Trinidad Tobago, the team that they like destroyed. Yeah, they trounced them the first game out there. Maybe because they actually had an interesting costume, a costume uniform. Costume. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Let me Sorry. go get in my costume and we can pretend sports. It goes along with my note that I wrote down that was Wayne Gretzky is the only hockey player I can name. <laughs> oh, yes. So while they are getting um, Bombay acquainted with all the people that the Hendrix represents or knows, they go to a dinner party where he is introduced to all these famous, famous athletes. And I, continuously I was just like, oh, it's that person I don't know. What? Greg Louganis there. Uh, he would have been big at the time. So I have a list of all the people that they showed. I didn't know half of them. So what? they show Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yes. Okay, did you know Cam who he was? Yeah, because he's an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Also, he may have played basketball at one point. <laughs> uh, they have Cam Neely, uh, Chris Chelios. Nope. Uh, Luke Rabatali. He sounds French. Uh, Greg Luganis. Mm -hmm. Know that one. Christy Yamaguchi. Yep. That one I know. Stephen Brill. The name is familiar. No. Nope. I don't know and, who it was. And Wayne Gretzky, who Wayne when Gretzky, he came on screen, I was just like, Tony Hawk? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's very tall and very skinny. Well, they had all of the athletes and the Mighty Ducks as a team are very short in general. And then you put them next to like all of like all of these people that are like seven feet tall, and it's like they are the tiniest little babies in the world. Yeah, which uh, the the hawks are just enormous next to them. I think the hawks are ninety. Uh, Iceland. I get them confused, <laughs> but yes, you are correct. Iceland is enormous next to them, the and hawks like were Iceland too, uses though. that to advantage. I think. 99 out of 100 games, Iceland would sweep the floor with them because maybe, they're just the better team. Maybe they had to cast real short people as the Ducks because I don't think Emilio Estevez is very tall. No, I don't think he is. I think he's... Oh, that could be it. So I want to talk about this party scene because I have other notes on it. Uh, so in this party scene, we get a cameo from Nurse Julie herself uh, from Heavyweights. As the waitress. Uh, also, Bombay tries to pitch the idea of a loafer for kids for the kids who want to coach. To be fair, they do have one kid who wants to coach in this movie, so there's one. They do. Uh, he calls it the Air Bombay. I think a much better name is the Air Gordon. Uh... Maybe it was too close to the real thing and they would have gotten in trouble for it. Whatever. I don't know. Just saying. Uh, let's see. So how did you guys feel about the knuckle puck? 
Oh, we're skipping around a lot, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, let's see. Next chronologically after the party would be the the rodeo scene, which we already covered. Yeah. I do think we need to talk about uh, Miss McKay at some point because I think she's adorable and I love her. Go ahead. Is that your only note? No, but I just... <laughs> one, she is from Law and & Order and one of the Law & Orders I didn't hate. She's from Criminal Intent, which I didn't know because, I mean, I saw those two things so I know I have seen her in other. other things, too. For the people who haven't seen this, uh, who Ms. is Miss McKay? Miss McKay is their tutor. And at one point, they're fill-in coach, which is, I think, one of my... Like, the best uses of an adult in a scene because yeah. she... She starts out being like, oh, no, I can't get this, and then gets real into it, and it's so funny. And, like, it looks like all of the ducks are so proud of her when she's, when she's like, asking Charlie, like, they look tired, they need to change, and, like, she yells out the, the line change or whatever, and they just look so proud of her for, like, <laughs> doing coach stuff. From what I remember from that scene... When they're when Charlie's trying to get her to become the coach for the game, they are whispering to each other through like inch thick plexiglass. Yeah. Uh, and then she comes on, and um, I I remembered her as being a female coach in this movie, and she kind of is. But yeah, the line change is by far my favorite no, part. She of it. she is their tutor. Um, but no, it's just so funny because she gets so into it because she's like, yeah, the kids are excited. I'm excited. I'm gonna yell things. Well, yeah, the, because she's their tutor. The the one. Time Time they had their their class scene and then she was talking about why the greeks used to compete and goldberg says falafels <laughs> <laughs> and was actually, america always the best yeah <laughs> no america's a teenager i think Just it like was all Ameri of you. did america always dominate i think oh uh, <laughs> well excuse me which I'm is corrected. weird because in the first one, Fulton seemed like one of the smarter ones. And that line made him seem real dumb. <laughs> I don't... He didn't have a lot of lines, though. But they were talking about... Well, I guess there were colleges looking into him he already. Came, yeah. But he, I think it was because of In that conversation his... he had in that first scene, in the first movie, he came across as fairly intelligent. Yeah. Very streetwise. But think. they made him real dumb in that, and I'm like, oh, Fulton. Well, he was trying to match the intelligence of the guy he was interested in. Who, <laughs> who is in one of my other favorite movie Disney movies, which is Newsies. <laughs> he plays one of the Newsies. He's plays Mush. That's my cigar. You'll steal another. Yeah. So hey, Bombers, we got works to do. Wait for that episode to come around. Yeah. Will. I can't wait for it. Oh, so during this scene is when Bombay comes back, which he was late because he was having a montage of him skating around. Yeah, I don't, I know that, that this was after they had lost the game and he kind of went crazy back to his old self, obsessed with winning and pushed the team really hard. I thought they were going to do another walkout. And then Jan came down to LA and convinced him, you need to reevaluate priorities and become yourself. And fix blah, your blah. hair. Yeah, fix your hair because you look like you just got out of the shower. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, I don't understand. You you know you have responsibilities to your team to be there to be a coach. So maybe you need to go find yourself, but you can't just not show up right. to the game. That level of irresponsibility, I get why the kids didn't really appreciate him coming back mid-game with a lame duck call, <laughs> which they introduced in this film. Yep. I mean, did the kids practice that at all in the off-season? Or it's just like, the duck call is now their thing. I don't Nobody know. Nobody knows. Nobody. <laughs> Before this game, uh, I think is when they have the montage with the 
the street hockey team. Yes, they do that without him. Yeah. Yes. I really liked this scene. This I, a lot of the the ice hockey games aren't that interesting. Either the Ducks are dominating or they're being trounced on until the final game. Whereas this one, it just felt like kids were having fun and they were learning a lesson about you know doing their best in a sport and trying their hardest. Also, Russ's older brother is great. He he is immediately on board supportive. He's like, yeah, that's my brother. Yeah, let <laughs> me teach like, you how to fight. Your brother's got a big mouth. <laughs> yeah, and when caught, when yeah, I guess well, no, he does. no, it's when um, is it Kenny Wu, Woo? Kenny yeah. Wu starts Woo. beating up the guy, and he's like, yeah, I taught him that. <laughs> I the, no, okay. The favorite part they they knock a puck in the air, goes over the fence, and breaks the windshield of a car. Right? Yes. And the guy says. Oh, don't sweat it. It happens all the time. And he just yells at the guy, hey, can you throw that back? And he, then the guy's like, hey, here you go, kids, and throws it back. Never says anything about his broken windshield. Not at all. This is like the chillest guy <laughs> in cinema history. I want to know his story. And they're at some, like, random street court in LA. They're not chill people in LA. Chill people in LA do not exist. There are surfers. Now, I they are not in LA. LA is not on the coast. Like a modified basketball court, but then yeah, I don't remember seeing hoops anywhere. They may just have street hockey courts. Those exist somewhere. Uh, I'm not sure if they would in LA though. And also, they're not surfer types in LA. It's not right on the coast. You said that it's already. It's a little inland <laughs> i'm just telling you that you need to get your california geography up to snuff fair enough now i want to talk about uh the iceland coach because he is supposed to be the end-all be-all villain of the film and i think he pales in comparison to coach riley from the first movie because a lot of his villainous attitude is conveyed through what he might have done in the 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 majors when he was there for a year and we don't see him be really mean on screen until there's a showdown between him and bombay well and his meanness is he's like this stereotypical scary like normally i'd say he should be russian because it's kind of a russian stereotype in like 90 shows but he's like this scary european angry man so it's kind of just like a caricature whereas um riley was like it was very get into your mind and be like, I'm your father figure from childhood and you're disappointing me and you've ruined everything and I'm scared. Whereas that's like hardcore hurts yeah, the person. Now, the worst thing he does for a while in this film is that he's a good coach. Like he goes to the yeah. games of other teams and learns their secret plays so that he has a defense against them. And, and even with like injuring banks as opposed to the first movie where it's specifically the coach tells him to do it it's just this iceland guy kind of like freaking he was out. just mad that they scored a goal yeah as opposed to in the first one when they took out banks the coach told them you take him out it was an assassination order delivered by a psychopath who was also previously bombay's father figure just not a very good one. Oh no i was talking about the child oh was the a child psychopath. i think was a psychopath making future psychopaths he like he was like they were like a history of violence Go the on. ducks are like in lord of the rings the elves <laughs> and the wolves were the orcs because they've been taking these nice children and mutated them into evil psychopaths who want to murder other children <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm loving this crossover. Which might mean that the coach is Saruman. <laughs> Pulling him out from the mud. 
all right. Uh, let's see. I'm so sorry. I think we've run out of like a lot of my character notes before the final game. Do you guys have anything else? We need to mention the fire scene. Oh, where yes. Where they just set a fire in the middle of the sidewalk. Uh, this scene bothered me because it's this a is great, a fire in a barrel. It's a great visual. <laughs> That is ruined by stupid dialogue. Like yes. he delivers. Oh no! I this, thought the dialogue was great. No, he delivers this dialogue like it's a PSA. Like this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. No, that's what I th- it is. Like, that it's was the point because that. that was a big commercial at the time. It would have been much more surprising and fulfilling to me if he had just all of a sudden done it without like introducing each individual step. I just don't understand. They were just on a random street with stores behind them. They weren't like at the house or. Some place where you could start a fire. No, they're just on a street corner. So, for the people who haven't seen it, this is when Bombay is back. He has regained the trust of the children, and he shows a uh, a cardboard cutout of himself. He sets himself on fire. Yes, he says this is a distraction. Then he goes to a barrel, lights a fire in it, and says, this is a fire in a barrel. Then he says, this is a distraction in a fire in a barrel. Any questions? I loved it. I thought it was great. Uh, I thought it was overproduced. The, Just the do the damn behind thing. it was great, but I think there had to be dialogue for people to understand why he was doing it. Well, you, sh- you light the fire. You show the thing. You say, this is a distraction. This is what you do with distractions. Then you do the damn thing. No, I thought it was cheesy and ridiculous, and I loved it, and I want more. (laughs) Okay. See, you admit it's cheesy. You like it. I'm against cheesy. I think we can agree to disagree on this. You're against cheesy. I'm sorry. The 90s must have been rough for you. (laughs) Well, yes. The point of this podcast being, we're going back to the 90s as adults to see if it's still triggers the same things in us. Also, I'd like to point out they did another terrible newspaper shot that made them like made the bad guy look like he looked like emperor palpatine (laughs) with hair so we've moved on from lord of the rings now we're into the star wars crossover bombay's picture is him like like hanging out at the rink and the icelandic coach's picture is him completely in black with a black background and all you can see lit up is his face and i'm like wow yeah so are we going to talk at all about the bombay and the dentist showdown one-on-one thing before the final game let's do it so explain the context of the scene for people who haven't seen it it is team usa's final practice before the big championship game so rather than practicing bombay tells them to have fun and they start going around the rink with a beach ball and then Iceland team shows up and says, we have practice now, playtime is over. And then some, I don't know, Bombay and Iceland coach exchange some words and they decide they're going to play a one-on-one game of hockey to decide who is the best. And things happen. Yeah, so <laughs> you, you mentioned they start playing around, which is just them hitting a beach ball around. In screen time, like literally 20 seconds later, the Iceland people show up. And they aggressively deflate this beach ball. So the game that they play, which I was interested in because I don't know if this is an actual thing or not, but it's called a three post. So you have to be very specific with your shots. You have to hit the side two posts on the, the goal and then the center post, I think, in the back or maybe the center post at the top. So like if you top. if you hit the net, doesn't count. So Bombay does this, he's about to win, 
And this is where we finally see this guy be an actual jerk on screen, where he uses his stick to hit Bombay's leg in the exact spot that he was injured in the beginning of the movie. Re-injuring the injury. <laughs> yeah. I did like the showdown shootout. That was a very yes. interesting dynamic between the two coaches. I don't like how it formed. It didn't seem organic the way that it got together. Like, Bombay kind of broke character because he was making fun of this coach, where he is supposed to be already reformed and above board. I thought that was part of him being back to himself, was just him goofing around, having fun, making jokes. And then that turned into kind of the serious stare down because the other guy wasn't having it. <laughs> uh, that could be. But this has led us to the final game. The showdown between... Uh, at the time, Team USA and Team Iceland. Uh, and Banks has miraculously healed his hand. Like, literally, he just says, I woke up, it's better. When when I did my 60-second summary, I had that exact sentence in it <laughs> that he was miraculously healed the night before the game, but I had to take it out because it took too much time. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, uh, does it, Banks have a healing power? I hope so, because... Banks needs it. <laughs> Poor Bank. He is secretly oh. Logan. So in this, every trick shot is getting shut down. They they use all of their same tricks from the first movie, as well as trying the knuckle puck, which got introduced in this movie, and none of them has worked at all in this game. Yeah, so this is where we get our three Bash brothers. Okay, so in this scene, I have to say the announcer is the dumbest person in the world because he has the line, woo, 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 Kenny woo. <laughs> I feel like the announcers are pretty terrible throughout the whole movie. It's true, but it was just that line that was like, nope, I think I'm done. Uh, I want to say that's after halftime, but yeah, it's pretty great. There, There is not a halftime, uh, but go Whatever, on. <laughs> when they go in the locker rooms. No, the woo, woo, Kenny woo is whenever Kenny does his ice skating mabob trick and then beats up the guy. Eddie, oh, okay. We get our three Bash Brothers. The two Bash Brothers are given penalties for riling up the crowd, which seemed like... You should be I focusing think on hockey. I they got penalty for going by the other team and whacking all of them in the head while they were sitting on the bench because well, they weren't even that, playing they, at the they time. They threw off their helmets, they threw off their gloves, and they were just trying to get the crowd to go wild, and they got taken off. Also, um, Dwayne gets removed because this is where he saves Connie with a lasso. Which, speaking of that, since you just mentioned that Fulton and Dean got pulled off the ice and in the penalty box, when Dwayne goes and ropes the guy, they go back to the Team USA bench and Portman is on the bench <laughs> cheering with the rest of the team. But he's supposed to be in the penalty box. He was only supposed to be in there for what, two minutes? Yeah, two minutes. probably. But Reed and I think was there's a time, back. I don't know, maybe he was in the bathroom. That's right, because... Um, because when Kenny Wu goes in the box, both of them are still in there. Correct. And when Dwayne goes in there, nobody's in there. But he gets removed for roping, which is a new penalty specifically to him. My question is, he makes a split-second decision to save Connie. The rope is already there. What is it there for? It's his security blanket. <laughs> it's, his, it's his good luck charm. Some people don't change their socks. He carries around a rope with him. His Linus blanket. Fair I, enough. I don't know. I'm making stuff let's, up. Let's go to the hockey halftime, <laughs> which is the, the period between second and third periods, because apparently yes. they don't call them triads or whatever the equivalent would be to quarters. <laughs> Thirds, probably. Uh, where they do a team roll call 
where they talk about, you know, we're ducks. Though don't forget where you came from. And 90% of the people there, including Miss McKay, are from Minnesota. I guess that's the point of the whole movie, though, because that was what Jan came back to tell Gordon when he was not being himself. So Maybe in the 90s, they're just like, Minnesota's really unpopular. We need <laughs> we need some boost for Minnesota. So this was a Minnesota tourist avenue where yes. they wear a Californian hockey team's logo. <laughs> the hockey team didn't exist yet. It it's did true. exist. I looked this up. That logo uh, came on board the 93-94 season. This movie came out in 94. Okay, but it didn't exist during the first one. Correct. And it wouldn't have existed. I mean, the filming of the movie would have happened before it was released. Uh, so yeah. it kind of might have been a simultaneous thing. Probably. But yeah, I guess it's a joint venture between Minnesota and California, which seems weird. It is Disney. Yes. So in this locker room meeting, all of the players stand, you know, he's so in, he's trying to get them to remember who they are, where they come from. So they all stand up and say their names and what city they're from. What, what one that stood out to me was, because we discussed this in the first movie, Adam Banks is from Edina, Minnesota, which is specifically the city where people are called cake eaters when they are rich people. <laughs> so, well that, done, writers of this movie. Good job, they so kept one thing. So he actually yes. is a cake eater then. Yeah, and I did like how Goldberg chose Philadelphia uh, as, I guess that's his birthplace, Maybe that's where he grew up a little bit. Even though he has been living in Minnesota for a long time. Exactly. I mean, maybe, because, like, I don't consider myself an Iowan. That's fair. Uh, I don't consider myself anything, because I don't really have a hometown. <laughs> that's right, Carl. You, you are nothing. <laughs> I am a little bit of a mud. Uh So, in this halftime, we get a uniform change, which I looked up how much a jersey was. It's really expensive. Mm -hmm. See, I want to know more about Jan's backstory. Well, he works for the supply shop, so he could have gotten them. But it wasn't a supply shop. how he, would he know that store. they're going to use them? He would have had to have gotten them before going to California, where that Californian team is. The California team does not exist in this universe. Okay, fair enough. Does it exist in the cartoon universe where they were actually ducks? Yeah. Because they were hockey players, too. In your mind, did Jan design this this logo and the look of the shirts? Yes, and also, in my universe, Jan might be a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure where all of that equipment came from, because it's just there. And if you had it beforehand, why not let them wear it at the beginning of the game? Because he had to wait till the right emotional moment. <laughs> it was very important. Though, they do throw in a line here, very specifically when they come out, that announcer says, I just looked it up, there's no rule against changing uniforms in the middle of a game. Also, Queen plays here. Queen as plays it does a lot a lot of the, the movie. movie. <laughs> I think this is a We Will Rock You. Yes, and that's when the ducks actually come out and knock people over instead of getting pushed around. Oh, though they do do the chant in the locker room of ducks fly together, uh, where I wrote down Dwayne's because it's oh, the yeah. best. Uh, yes. <laughs> when the roosters are crowing and cows are spinning in the pasture, ducks fly together. I like that they just stop for a moment and go, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing that happens, I guess. Uh, but... They come back, we get 
Uh, let's see. Connie scores just flat out. No trick play required. Uh, Charlie She's comes. She's good at hockey. Yeah, turns out these hockey players were not bad this whole time. Well, the girls don't need trick plays. They just are good at their job. <laughs> yeah, well, then Charlie, need one either. Charlie comes up with another trick play. Who I don't know if we discussed this at all, but when they went and played uh, against their street hockey team, this is when they met Russ Tyler, and he gets added to the team once they realize that Banks is injured. Now, now that they come to the Iceland game and we find out that Banks is healed, then... Um, Russ is getting ready to take off his jersey and leave the game, and Charlie steps down to let them all keep playing, and Bombay just lets him be the coach instead. Uh, yes. Uh, so Russ Tyler did play in, um, one game previously where he debuted the knuckle puck. The ice Was that coach Germany? Is- that was Russia. Yes. Well, it might have been Germany, it might have been Russia. I don't, I don't know. But the coach is there from the Iceland team. And so when he tries to pull it off in this final game, he always makes sure at least three people are on him to block his knuckle puck, which is smart strategy. And because, you know, the knuckle puck is just impossible to block if you don't have three people guarding the guy. Though Keenan Thompson (laughs) specifically says... It's hard to control, but when it goes in, it's amazing. He doesn't miss a single says, time with a knuckle It's puck. hard to be accurate, but it drives goalies crazy. There you go. Whatever. <laughs> he, I have he's paraphrased. the new Reed. Yes. He They're all the new is. Reed, because Lu- Lewis is the new Reed, too. So now we get back to the third Louise. period here. Before we do, we have two more shots. Let's go back to Charlie's trick play, which is an alley-oop. Which he learned while they were playing against the street hockey team because when they hit when they hit the puck over the fence, went on the guy's windshield, the guy threw it back. Charlie chased it down as it was in the air and knocked it in the goal to score. Okay. I didn't know how that came about, but if you watch this, so how it works is Dwayne, the uh, the puck handling Texan, flips up the puck so that it lands right in front of the goalie, but In order for it to go in, a duck has to skate up there and has to be intentionally tripped by one of the Iceland teams so that he can go between the goalie's legs and knock it in. So I think this trick play relies on an accident. I I don't think that was how it was designed. I think it just happened to work out that way. So the other point they make here before we get to the great knuckle puck, uh, Mendoza the speed skater comes up, finally is able to stop, which means he is flinging ice shavings into the eyes of the goalie. Then he thinks for a second, is like, oh, right, I'm here to score, and knocks it in. I do have to say in these scenes, whoever was in charge of, like, the advertisement light boards was on their game, because as soon as they come out in the new uniforms, it's all of them switch to Go Ducks (laughs) instead of Go Team USA. So they were... They were on their A game. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. All right, Mark, let's get to the final point before the final showdown. The knuckle puck going in. Can you describe how this comes about? How they come up with a stupid trick play to get this to work? So they had to, this is when they tried to do the knuckle puck, I believe, and it gets, and there's too many people on Russell Tyler and he cannot get the shot off. He doesn't have time. So they call a timeout. Everybody gathers around the bench and as they go back out there, I don't think Russ is even on the ice at the time. Or I mean, his, his, 
jersey is not on the ice at the time. Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but they they go out and they're just wasting time for a while. It, the puck gets passed back to the goalie, Goldberg. And the announcer, of course, says how strange that is. Suddenly, he rips off his helmet for no apparent reason. And someone hands him a different stick. And it is Russ Tyler wearing Goldberg's jersey and pads. And he is able to do the knuckle puck because no one is guarding him at all because they all thought he was a goalie. As soon as he hits the puck, the Iceland coach is screaming, No! Because apparently... Anytime he hits it, it's just going to go in no matter what. So he knew as soon as he hit it that they were going to score. And then, of course, time runs out, and that's how they tied the game to get to overtime. Yes. Now, this may play into the fan theory where Jan is a wizard, how these two children uh, exchanged pads and jerseys on the side of the rink without anybody noticing. And in a matter of, like, 30 seconds, because timeouts don't last that long in hockey. (laughs) They really don't. Plus, it it takes forever for him to come out of the goal to more than half court, uh, and then for another person to come by and give him a stick so he can do his famous shot. I just, I I know when they call a timeout, the whole team groups around the bench. So the point was they're supposed to be hidden somewhere in the middle of this group of people, and that's how they could change without people noticing. You would think that at least someone in the audience, or possibly a camera somewhere, or the announcer, someone may have seen it, even if the other team didn't. I think just a better way to do this is you change jerseys between two of the regular players. He already has the stick. You're going for the misdirection. It still works because his face is mostly hidden by the regular helmet. I don't see why he had to be the goalie. I think the point was people don't usually guard the goalie. So they that... do if he's out of the goal. Maybe. I just think maybe it just gave him more time to get set up and ready for it because there wouldn't be people right on him as soon as he was skating around. All right, well, let's finish this off. It comes down to a final 5v5 shootout. Uh, Shooters for the Ducks, it's not that interesting till the very end. Uh, So Shooters for the Ducks, Jesse scores, Dwayne Cowboy misses. Oh, no, Cowboy scores. Who Gee misses, that's who it is. Uh, It seems weird because... He is supposed to be, like, their best player aside from Banks. Because he doesn't have any weird, like, None of them have quirks. tricks. Yeah. Right. Anyways, Jesse scores, Gee misses, Cowboy scores, Fulton does a slap shot and scores, and then puts away his uh, stick <laughs> like it's a scythe, and he's the Grim Reaper. Yeah, it was um, great. Uh, and then... Banks comes and I think he misses. No, <sighs> I think I've had that. No, right. Banks, no, no. Is the no. Last Banks one. scored it. Okay, so it is four four. Yes. Anyway, so this is where Julie is given her first seconds of playtime in the entire tournament, and she is told specifically what to do. Like she is given no chance in the entire film to express herself, be creative, like, do anything talented. The one time she's in, she's given explicit instructions on how to defeat this guy. And I remember when she went to his office and requested playtime, he said, oh, you'll get your chance to prove yourself to the world. And she gets a chance, but when it's only one shot, I don't know how much that's proving to anyone. Exactly so. So anyway, she's told, go glove side after he triple deeks. She does it. They win. That's the end of the movie. I do have to say I appreciate the announcer for explaining that whole overtime whatever thing because I definitely didn't know anything about what was going on. (laughs) 
and then and then after they win, we go into "We Are the Champions" by Queen again, I believe. Oh, right. Um, and all of them—that's after they fly back. Yes, meaning like all of the scene. rest of the people had to come to Minnesota for this campfire. So, um, and as long as we're talking about that, I wanted to mention something about the music on this movie because <clears throat> we had the the soundtrack for this i believe um on cassette tape and for our listeners who don't know what a cassette tape is this <laughs> is the wrong podcast for you um, <laughs> it's something you had to rewind with a pencil it's an Go eight on. track that you could rewind yes um <laughs> <laughs> you don't think they know cassette tapes but they'll know eight tracks. exactly Perfect. um no, but I think we wore out that tape, or you know how those went bad or would get scrumbled up in there when they get stuck in the player, and um, we probably broke that thing because we played it so many times because we were really into the music on this movie, but I enjoyed it a lot, um, especially the final song that plays throughout that whole final game, mm-hmm. at least the last period of the game, I guess, when they come out and actually win. That's probably the best song on the whole thing. Now, what is that song? I don't know. It's, it's just it's just a song. It's not... <laughs> All right. Well, that was the movie D2, The Mighty Ducks, in long form. Let's go on to games. Our first game is the pitch game, where you have to describe the movie as if you are pitching it to a Hollywood executive or describing it to someone who has never seen it in the form of it's this meets this. Now, I had some trouble with this one, honestly. I could not encapsulate it into two films, so both of the ones I have are going to be three films long instead of two, but... We can start with whoever who would like to go first. I don't know. I just had trouble with it because the three movies to me are so similar in this trilogy exactly so. that that I already gave probably my best ones in the first movie. But <laughs> yes, which is why I limit us to two in the first movie because I think we're going to run into the same problem with the third one. But let me start us off. So This movie features a U.S. hockey team becoming the best in the world, a child assistant coach creating an impromptu secret play to score a vital point, and it prominently features the music of a 70s English rock band. So this is Miracle meets Little Giants meets Tommy. You stole mine from the first time. I sure did. <laughs> I just thought Miracle made more sense in this one because it's a world tournament. It's true. So I picked two movies for this. I don't have three, but it's kind of a go with me here kind of answer because right. there's kind right. of a Bombay goes from being himself to becoming kind of a celebrity and getting he's getting a little high on himself i guess um but he's He's selling out a bit yes he believes that he is the best thing ever um and then in the end he gets talked down by his friends and comes back to reality so i have slapshot meets toy story 2 (laughs) ha nicely done okay because we have evil europeans and A team having to rebond old and new players. I will say this is Dodgeball meets Remember the Titans. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. All right. So my final one, 
So this is a sequel that is note for note, a remake of the original, a hockey movie that celebrates player violence, and a film overloaded with cameos of minor celebrities. This is Be Cool meets Goon meets Sharknado 2. <laughs> I kind of thought you were going to say Zoolander. <laughs> I, when you started talking about the evil Europeans, I thought you were going to go with Die Hard. Oh, I've never seen Die Hard. What? Oh, what? For uh, shame, shame, shame knows your name. Alan or whatever Rickman, they say in come on. I do love Alan Rickman. He's pretty great. But the first thing I saw him in was Sense and Sensibility, so yeah. Perfect. Let's go on to our second game, which is alternate tagline. So something that encapsulates the theme of the movie you might see on the movie poster, but kind of totally misses the point. Let's do the actual taglines for this movie. Oh, Because yes. I found three of them. Uh, one doesn't make much sense. One is fine, and the other is a terrible pun. Uh, so <laughs> they are, first they played for respect. Now they're playing against the world. Which, as a clause, the two clauses don't really match each other. Nope. Uh, the one that is fine is just D2, the Mighty Ducks. The Mighty Ducks are back. Yeah. Yay. Well, yeah. Uh, Good job. And the terrible fun, D2, the Mighty Ducks, the puck stops here. Yeah, that's the one I saw. So, who would like to go first here? I have got two of these. So oh, if you've got two, go. Okay, the first one, because of Bombay and Charlie's relationship and how Charlie now becomes the coach and they are still best friends, I have D2, the bromance continues. <laughs> Very nice. So, the one I have here is... D2, the Mighty Ducks, only 20% different than the original. That's pretty a similar vein of mine, which is D2, second verse, same as the first. <laughs> oh, just a whole lot louder and a whole lot worse. Yes. I, I actually right. liked this one, though. Yeah, I, I did too. So I, I have two more. Uh, I have one more still. Oh, go, go, go. I had D2, the return of Captain Blood. Uh. Ooh. Uh, I've got D2, the Mighty Ducks. Where the heck is Hans? <laughs> Hans! He went home to be with Mom. They said that uh, at the beginning. But, like, I thought the car the uh, the actor might have died. No, he was up and running. He was doing other movies. Why couldn't he come back for this? Uh, and my final one, which is terrible pun. Um, D2, the Mighty Ducks, taking a quack at a worldwide competition. Boo. Thank you. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final game, which is the TV Guide game. So it gives a description of the film that you might find in a Netflix description or a TV Guide where it's technically accurate but kind of misses the point. Who would like to go first? Does anybody have more than one? I do. I will go first then, I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, a heckler hassles hockey team until they cave and let him play whilst a bromance blooms betwixt Bash Brothers. Okay, so mine is small children with not enough parental supervision cause trouble for international relations. <laughs> yes, yes. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. In a world where image is everything, one man dares to be himself. Hmm. 
Or I could say, nice. one man dares to be a duck. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my final one here. Let's see. Got to do a voice for this. Let me prepare. <clears throat> a young cowboy joins up with a team of his contemporaries in a matter of nation's pride. He visits a rodeo, saves a damsel with his lasso skills, and participates in a shootout that will decide it all. Thank you. Let's go on to ratings. All right, so let's go first to our, our potato scale, which is rating the emotional state of the movie. So what was this movie in terms of potatoes? What did I say last week? Whatever Lord I said last knows. week. Because I think... <laughs> I this think in... I think Carl and I had potato skins for the other one because we liked parts of it, but overall it wasn't as good as we remembered. Can mm -hmm. I just say, you have to watch last week's episode, tell me what I thought, and that is my rating. <laughs> <laughs> Can I put it on the audience? Oh, okay. So just carbon copy of the first movie is your rating of this. It's... I mean, there's there's some different things, but like, Overall, I felt kind of the same way about both. There isn't one I liked more than the other. That's fair. Um, let's see. I think I liked this one more than I did the other one. Uh, there's still several scenes that are kind of pointless, but I found, like, the thing at the beginning where they're going around to each player and re, you know, getting you acquainted with the ducks again, I found that very compelling. I found the... Uh, game at the very end, super compelling. It's exactly what you want out of a sports movie and that, you know, it gives you a, the final showdown and, you know, this huge, big production of it. Uh, but there were other scenes like the Rodeo Drive scene, which I could have done without and I wish I could never see again. <laughs> uh, so, and that, I guess, best rating for it. We might have to come up with a new one, though I can't do it now. Uh the only kind of good one we have for that is the homey heartwarming. I mean, let's see. It wasn't the best movie. It had its moments. Uh, let's see. So I guess in that would also be sweet potatoes. It's not exactly as I expected it to be. Uh, also, tater tots. It's kind of just for kids. Uh, and maybe even your new rating of potato gun. It may just be for boys. So I guess I'm at a loss <laughs> as to how to rate this. Wait, wait, wait. How did I never hear this new rating? It came up uh, with heavyweights. I don't remember that. <laughs> anyway. I would say huh, I'm trying to come up with one that is the best fit. And I, I just can't. Can it's, I it's interrupt you here? Yes, please. I, I feel the same way because I, I'm kind of surprised at Sarah's because <laughs> I, I don't know. I felt that this one was much better than the first one, in my opinion. There were still the, the several scenes that had nothing to do with the plot and some things that don't make sense now as an adult that I wouldn't have paid attention to as a kid. So tater tots could make sense, but... I still enjoy it as an adult, just as entertainment value. So, and the ending uh, game, the final game, had that extra excitement to it. So, yeah, I think I would agree with you. We don't really have a rating for it because yeah. it's kind fact, of... I'm going to come up with one right now. Uh, to me, this is schlop. <laughs> now, schlop in my family uh, is a dish with potatoes and gravy and meat on top and I think other vegetables mixed in as well. But you can't really taste one thing from the other. It's just all kind of mixed together. And so I, you can't really pick out one potato. 
uh, out of this because it's all just kind of all of them mixed together. I'll yeah. go with that. Sure. <laughs> all right, let's move on to the rewatchability scale. So a scale of one to ten, rating how much you would watch this movie again. One, burn all copies. Ten, uh, show it to everybody you know. Uh, so what would you rate this on that scale? Maybe a seven. I don't have a reason. I just seven. I think seven. For me, I gave the first movie a seven, but I liked this one enough better that I would give it higher rating. <laughs> so probably right. an eight. Perfect. I am exactly there with you, Mark. I like this one better than the first one, and I think I gave the first one a seven because it was it had its moments it wasn't too offensive in the moments that were hard to get through uh so i think uh, i don't know if i'd go full point higher i'm going to give it a 7.5 yeah i just i wanted to go yeah i don't know i just can't see my see it as a 9 and it's definitely not a 10 but yeah <laughs> but better than the first one so all right so let's go on to our next movie. It's going to be D3, The Mighty Ducks. What do you guys remember about it? Absolutely nothing. Perfect. Uh, so Prep school shenanigans. Yes, I think actually they, they're in dorms again. I want to say they tube in ants to the varsity team's dorms. That oh, rings yeah. a bell for me. Yeah. That does ring a bell. Okay. Because I know they have a coach that they hate because it's not Bombay. Uh, I and think I hated Bomb the new coach, too. <laughs> yeah, I think Bombay comes back and convinces Charlie that the coach is not too bad. Uh, and Charlie overwatches, overwatches, uh, oversees him skating with his handicapped daughter on the ice. And I think that's what wins Charlie over again. Uh, also, when Charlie comes in, he's a captain which he hasn't been a captain up until this point. He starts the movie as one. Well, they kind Wasn't of Wasn't he he was not a captain in the like first the movie? They do treat him like a captain. He was the coach in the second one. He was never given one. the title. They make some joke about it in the second one. Uh let's see the very final one. Yes, uh, Gunnar Gunnar says to him after the game, "Well done, Captain Duck." <laughs> right, and that's the first mention of it. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what else do I remember? Um, oh, I think Banks is shit on again because he is separated from all of his all of his friends because he actually plays well and he's sent up to the varsity team. Oh, poor Banks! I know. And the rest of our junior varsity, I think. If we've got nothing else, let's close this out. Uh, so that is gonna do it for another episode of retrograding. Uh, if you could, spread the word. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Our music, as always, is done by Dominique Barnes. You can find her at Dominique A. Barnes on SoundCloud if you'd like to contact her or hear more. But that is going to bring us to our final segment, which is, Guys, I Learned Something Today. Now, believe it or not, this one actually doesn't give you a lot of lessons. It's not as ham-fisted as the first one. But I did find a very touching lesson to be learned in this is when you're getting down to business just set fire to all of your distractions it's the only way forward all right that's going to do it for another episode of retrograding we will catch you next time see you then
Insert Sarah's voice singing a song. No, that was for Where Are They Now? <laughs> yeah, and we haven't had any good ones. Uh, whose fault is that? Eyes on Sarah. The actors. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Though. Um... Nope. Lost it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Oh, God. It's a rough time. All right. Let's bring it back into it. One true pairing would be the Brash Butlers. Who? But it's still. And and but but they they they're just not like uh I uh they they, they I... Was that Germany? Russia. 